Welcome to Known Unknowns, the podcast. I'm Carly. I'm Harry. And we're going to tell you some stories. Yeah, we're going to talk at you. We're going to talk at you. Tell you about stuff. Mm -hmm. We're going to educate you. Do you think they can hear the heater again? My ear's ringing. (laughs) That was not an answer to my question. Yeah, I bet they can. Yeah, I bet they can. I haven't listened to our last few episodes, so I don't know if you could hear it, but it's just as loud as it has been, so. Yeah, that's true. I put a blanket over it this time, so it must it's probably real safe uh, <laughs> that I put a blanket over the heater. Yeah. Um, don't question me. Um, anything new this week that you want to talk about? Tons of stuff is new this week. Oh. Okay. What? Like what? Well, um, let's see. Uh, Rush Limbaugh died. Um, yeah, everyone seems really happy about that. Yep. Who yep. was that? Uh, he was like a conservative <laughs> radio, mostly like a conservative talk radio host. I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. All I know is everyone hated him, so I was like, okay. Yeah, uh, they also at one point like uh, tried, he tried to give him like a late night talk show kind of a thing, which was a failure. They also tried to have him be a commentator for like Monday Night Football. Um, but both of those, whenever they tr- whenever they tried to take him out of like the talk radio conservative talk radio ecosystem and into like the grand greater culture, people realized this guy has no talent. He's just a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, and so, and they hated him. So it didn't work out. So that's uh, about right. So that's cool that he died. Uh, rotten piss to uh, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear people hate him. Yeah. That's all. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Anything else new this week? Uh, well, I mean, Texas has been without power. For yeah, days. I feel really bad for Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel, it's really <laughs> sad. Yeah, I know. But, yeah. I mean, it's it's frustrating. I've just been, I don't know. This week, I've just been kind of feeling just like total total despair. This week, at like me too. The state of everything, um, like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, that like that while people are freezing to death in Texas, and the ones who aren't are being charged like tens of thousands of dollars for yeah, using that, electricity for uh, a few hours. Um, that's going on. Um, and while that's going on, people are like, um, yeah, conservatives are claiming that it's because of uh green energy the green energy infrastructure failing yeah it's, in it's texas. very frustrating <laughs> the state yeah, that in entire economy revolves around natural gas yeah yeah and, yeah. and petroleum extraction but uh, uh yeah and, and then at the same time um they're trying to build a another natural gas pipeline through indigenous lands and and up in is it Minnesota or North Dakota this time? I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, where that's going on. And I'm just, uh, I'm just, just not happy. I'm thinking, I've been, uh. I bet the people in Texas aren't either. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people in Texas are very happy. Uh, like there's, oh, yeah. But... <laughs> I don't know. There's like a leaked transcript of a phone call where like, like, you know, natural gas executives were like, over over the moon with joy of how much how how much they were raking in this week in terms of uh people wow yeah that's really depressing <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I just uh i've been staying off twitter 
and stuff. Yeah, no, th- this week I've just been really, and then just the the whole pandemic situation, um, that, and then our the state of uh, our healthcare situation in this country. It's just been a, you know, a really uh, just been a not not a fun week. Um, just been thinking about a lot of bad stuff, and that uh, you know, I, I don't like it. Yeah, it me makes either. me not makes me not want to be alive. Uh, parody. <laughs> God, yeah, no, I've been not doing so good this week. Almost was like, let's just not do this episode this week. I just can't. <laughs> I've been meaning to get stuff done, but I can't. I cannot physically bring myself to do anything, even watch TV or like videos. <laughs> I can't. But then when I sit and do nothing i get antsy too so it's just right. bad i uh. yeah i don't have any attention span at this point no 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 uh after this episode uh you know i don't know what i'm going to do <laughs> probably get high and watch seinfeld maybe i i don't know just <laughs> sounds, kidding just kidding fun. just kidding i'll watch seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> Whatever game. you want to believe. In the game, parody. Yeah, whatever you want to believe I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. In those two scenarios, not anything else. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to talk about. All right. I ate these noodles called Miracle Noodles. Oh, yeah. And it's... they're zero-calorie noodles Yeah. made from plants. Seems like you really like those. Yeah. I didn't even see them. I didn't, because I was in the bedroom working on my stuff. But Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, they look like rice noodles. Cool. They kind of feel like it, but a little more rubbery than rice noodles. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Maybe cool. I just overcook rice noodles every time I make them, though. <laughs> They're a little, uh, yeah. So, you know, look up Miracle Noodles. They're this, cool. This episode brought to you by Miracle no, Noodles. Oh, it's not. The <laughs> noodle that is a miracle. Yeah. No, you're, you're, no, it's not. You're it's right. It's not. If if Miracle Noodles would like for this episode <gasps> yeah, to be brought Miracle to Noodles you by them. Wants to put an ad on here, sponsor us, you know. They can enclose a check for uh, $300 in a self-addressed stamped envelope and send it um, to ch- Chicago. E- yeah. <laughs> Email us and we'll give you our address. <laughs> Knownunknownspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. That's what that... <laughs> Email addresses, Miracle Noodles, hit me up. <laughs> I want, oh, wouldn't that be so cool? They have like nothing in them, so they're gluten-free. Yeah. They're vegan, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're like everything. Mm-hmm. Probably non-GMO or some crap like that. <laughs> I was, <laughs> when popcorn says that it's non-GMO, it makes me really upset. Because <laughs> corn all corn is is a GMO. Yeah. They can't be non-GMO. All corn is is a genetically modified <laughs> organism or whatever. I don't it just makes me mad. Skinny Pop claims to be non-GMO, and I'm like, that's impossible. That is just <laughs> simply, I mean, it's always a marketing tactic, but that is just purely I guess marketing because that's a lie. That <laughs> yeah. is just a lie. <laughs> Because corn, I feel like most people know that the GMO thing is crap, right? I don't know. That GMOs aren't bad. Yeah. You have to genetically modify things for things to work, like crops. 
<laughs> you yeah. have to. <laughs> yeah, if you are shitting on GMOs, you know nothing about agriculture. <laughs> so maybe read a book. <laughs> That's what I'll say. I'm just saying. I guess they mean things that haven't been recently GM'd. O's that haven't recently been GM'd. I guess. But yeah. I, I mean, still. But it's just out of control. Like popcorn? That All corn is. is just like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Everything at this point has been genetically modified. All of our food. Yeah. So it lasts. Do you want to store stuff and... I don't know what they have. I don't salt barrels. What do you, what do you want? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's anyway. all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. I'm very passionate about. Yeah. The well, whole anyway, um, that, that, that's a taste for you. Uh, miracle noodles of what you can, of what you would get from us. If you, uh, you know, pay, pay, send a oh. $460 to <laughs> paypal.me. Um, <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, Miracle Noodles are shit, and they suck, and they're not fit for a hog to eat. Um, I ate them. Are you saying I'm no, I'm, I'm lower I'm, than a hog? No, I'm just... I. They're not going to pay us if they're getting free advertising. That's true. They're, you guys suck. They're garbage. And garbage noodles. We, we hate them, and anyone who eats them is stupid. And, oh, my God. Except for you. I Carly. ate them. Well, okay, sorry. I don't mean that. But yeah, I mean, I have some positive thoughts, so if you want to hear them, <laughs> send $580 <laughs> to Chicago. Email us at nonunknownspodcast.com. Email Chicago at <laughs> No, no, no. Send it to Chicago and uh, email us and I'll give you my address. PayPal.me slash nonunknowns. Oh, PayPal.me slash nonunknowns. Send $620 and 87 cents. <laughs> For that miracle noodle, you can reach so many people. Yeah. If you if you give me money, and I anyway, okay. <laughs> or just give give Carly free miracle noodles. Oh, yeah. And you could try do not that. to barf them up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Okay, let's talk about this mail situation. Okay. Our especially local USPS places are just not delivering mail. That's another thing that pisses me off. It's a real problem, like, up on the north side of Chicago or, like, northwest especially, especially. Hmm. Um, people aren't getting their mail. <laughs> like, some people have gone, like, a month without getting mail. My So many packages of mine that I want... Like, I have food in there. Not that it'll expire, but I ordered stuff for breakfast. <laughs> like, oats. Mm -hmm. Overnight oats. And <laughs> I want them. I've been mm -hmm. waiting for so long. And they're just sitting at the facility mm -hmm. for, like, they've been sitting there for, like, a week. And they have not been delivered to me. Same with my a toothbrush I ordered. Same with... um some i don't know what i have glasses coming in the mail that are just gonna sit at the usps location mm -hmm. for weeks and i need glasses i have so many things mm -hmm. waiting what else do i have if you are a representative of any of these brands that carly has ordered from they don't know uh, i didn't say they they know they know they know your name they know our address they can figure it out they can that's true they can add, you can, if, if you, you would like uh, Carly to uh, reveal the name of your brand, send a, uh, a $925 to 
to known unknowns. To paypal.me slash known unknowns. Yeah, right. Anyway, the mail situation. Oh my yeah. God, I'm so mad. It took me like <laughs> two, three weeks. Okay, maybe not three weeks. It took me like two weeks to get a check in the mail from my workplace that I live like three blocks away from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just mailed it to me because I can't go there to pick it up. And it took like two weeks to get to me. And I'm like, I know it just went straight to a fa- the facility. And then they took it like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so I don't have my mail. And it's really sad. Yeah. And I want my mail. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So it's, it's been a pro. Like, it's actually a real problem. Representatives of like wards and other uh, city officials are, have been like. Mm-hmm. trying to fix it but i mean i mean as long i mean they're it's, just underfunded yeah. like I, i'm not blaming them it sucks because a lot of people are now going to their usps location and asking for the mail because it's sitting there it's just not getting delivered and some people are being turned away saying no you can't pick up your mail but then some people are also being told oh you're gonna have to come pick up your mail from now on we're not delivering to your building anymore which is like not allowed. It's not allowed for them to just be like, "Yeah, we decided we're not delivering to you anymore." Well, so we can all thank Miss uh, Louis DeJoy. I'm just mad. I want for that. Well, I mean, really, my oats and my toothbrush and my glasses. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could, they so Biden could replace the Postmaster General, who is but he lazy bitch. Yeah, he doesn't want to expend his political bitch. capital. To, uh, uh, you know, uh, replace him. Um, to make things better? <laughs> yeah, I mean. That's... Wasn't that everything he ran on, though? <laughs> well, the, he, he ran on nothing will fundamentally change. Um, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What so, do you say? Uh, that's what I said. I, yeah, yeah. And so why would he change anything? Yeah. He wants everyone to <laughs> be on the same page about things, but that's just not ha- going to happen. Um, well, I mean, he... he yeah. He does. He wants everyone to hold hands and sing. <laughs> I, I yeah, he wants people to hold their hand hold hands and sing while um uh everything is stolen out from underneath them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm real glad I didn't vote for him. Well, that's all I'll say. <sighs> yeah. I'm glad I didn't vote for him. Go me. I know. That's a round of applause for me. <laughs> I didn't vote for that rapist. Whoop 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 whoop. Anyway, do you want to start? Yeah, we should. I'm done ranting about my oats and my toothbrush and my glasses. You know who you are. You know who you... If come you on. would like Carly to you say... You know who you are. I, who you where, are herself. Where would I order overnight oats from? Where would I order a mainstream brand toothbrush? And who would I order glasses online from? Let's be real. Let's see here. Let's see here. Um, hmm. Hmm, um, Maybe the oats thing isn't as... <laughs> it's not like Quaker or anything. I didn't order Quaker oats. I, you know, may, maybe Carly ordered her uh, toothbrush from Gobi or Boca <laughs> yeah. or a third company. But or if third that third company. company doesn't want Carly to talk about uh, those other two. I just wanted to have positive oral health because I don't have good teeth. 
And I've been waiting for this toothbrush forever. It's been sitting there for like a week now, and I want my dang mail. I know. I paid money to get that shipped to me. I, I want it now. I want. I want you to have your mail too. I just want my oats. That's the main one. If my oats come tomorrow, I'll be happy, and I will quit complaining. So you better give me my oats. That's all I want. I want my breakfasts. I got my smoothies. I got my smoothies in the mail. Yeah. Those came because mm-hmm. they were delivered by like some place I've never heard of, DHL or some shit like yeah. that. Yeah. I ordered some nail polish in the mail. That came relatively quickly because it was by UPS. Mm. Not like I'm like, oh yeah, those places are great. It just makes me mad because the USPS should be able to give me my stuff, but they can't. Yep. I want to. Yeah. This it's all it's planned directly into DeJoy's hands. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Well, we won't. Sorry. Do you want me to start talking about the things? Oh yeah. I guess I I'm the one who started talking about it. So just you you no, I start. Think I said we stuff. I think we both have really long topics this week, so we better just get into this. Settle in, folks. What if it's so long that we're just like, how about we just leave it at that, folks, and then I'll do my topic next week. Could do that. Nah, they want to hear us. I feel both. like I've suggested that, and you you didn't you let have? me do it uh, on previous occasions. Where oh well, we'll see how long yours is. If it's like an hour and twenty minutes, I feel like I'm not gonna go another hour and talk about mine. All right, right, but mine not mine might not be enough for like a full episode. I guess it could be. Anyway, okay, sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll play it by here. Yeah, we'll okay. So, Formula One. I, I this week I watched uh, on Netflix another great company that this country uh, survives on. Um, that is actually a shit company that is gonna, has to pay us money if they want me oh to promote God. them. Yeah, uh, how much do they need to pay us? One thousand four hundred and sixty-one dollars and ninety-one cents. Yeah, send it Netflix, to PayPal.me/slash/knownunknowns. Yeah, if you want me to talk about. Uh, watching Formula One Drive to Survive, the reality show slash docu-series, depending <gasps> you, on how sorry. classy you are. What, what were we going to say? No. You know, I could do an episode next week with my topic, and I am taking a class right now brought to you by Wendy. Not Wendy's. Wendy. <laughs> Wendy Schweigert. That's Harry's mother. Actually, does she want her name said on this podcast? Her full name? Doesn't need it, no. (laughs) She doesn't want that? I'll bleep it. I'll bleep it after Wendy. They can know Wendy, right? Sure, yeah. Wendy. Thanks, Wendy. She she paid for this class for me. And it's on angelic mediumship. So I'm going to become a certified angelic medium. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I'm taking notes and everything so I can talk about it. I'm not kidding. That's why it's taken me so long. That orange notebook over there is just filled with notes. Cool. Because I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. But also not give away too much because, like, I'm sure she wants people to pay for her class. It's not. It's not my mom's class. Just. So oh no! Know. Not not Wendy's class. Wendy. <laughs> Wendy, I think emailed me and said, "Hey, this class looks like something you would want to do. <laughs> looks fun." And then she was like, "I'll pay for this class for you." She, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But all, yeah, as you're, I mean, it's not Harry's mom's. Harry's mom is not a medium. But as you're saying, if if the person running this class doesn't want you to give away everything about <gasps> it, she can send she- <laughs> to PayPal.me slash known unknowns one thousand five hundred ninety one dollars and sixty six. 68 cents. 68 cents to paypal.me slash known unknowns. Yeah. And I will promote her class and not give anything away. <laughs> We're doing good. We should reach out to these people for real and then read their uh, so, not responses to us because they'd be like, LOL. Yeah, we should, no. we should tell all these brands about how we're extorting them more, than, more so than we are right now. Sorry, well, we still need to play this by ear, so just go. Sorry, I was... So anyway, I watched the... Formula I, I, One. Drive to Survive. What is Formula One, Harry? Formula One is uh, is race cars. Yeah. Not NASCAR, though. No, it's not Classier, NASCAR. I hear. Is it classier? <laughs> kind of. I it's mean, not it's, it's, a US it's more thing. European. Oh, okay. I, mean, I just found out NASCAR is the only in the United States. Yeah. So that's why it's trashy. <laughs> Sorry, that's mean. That's why it's trashy. It is trashy. Anyway, so yeah, NASCAR is stock. Wait, car. where did I say your mom's last name? I don't. Know. I can't focus on things. <laughs> I don't think she wants it said. Right. Okay. Well, you're talking about it now at 21 minutes. Well, we'll message like her. We'll message her and be like, "Can we keep your last name in the podcast, or should I should I bleep it? Okay. Should I bleep it? Sure. I mean, if they just go on Facebook and look up things that you're tagged in they could probably find it i'm sure anyway continue (laughs) i don't think anyone cares that much so i don't know our one million viewers i don't know who they are yeah they could be creeps (laughs) (laughs) so for your benefit carly nascar is stock cars stock cars yeah so like uh that's like bay Supposed to the NASCAR cars are supposed to resemble like a regular like production car with like a roof and oh, wheels yeah. and stuff. Yeah, like a regular looking car. These yeah. other cars look and goofy. Then, they look like uh, go karts. Yeah. So Formula One. Yeah, it is similar to go karts. It's like a yeah. Harry watched wheel. this weird like reality TV show about Formula One drivers, and I was like, "What are you doing?" It like I mean, it's it's. I, th- I think Netflix would like to call it a docu-series to try to give it okay. a little more cachet than a reality show. It basically is a reality show. I mean, does Netflix want to send $2,100 to paypal.me slash known unknowns for me to say that this is a docu-series and support yeah. it? Or... <laughs> are we going to call it or are we gonna the call reality, it a reality show TV trash show? that it is? Trash TV. I don't know. Netflix, that's that's on you. That's on your shoulders. Yeah. So Formula One is open wheel, single seater cars stuff. So and it, it's faster than NASCAR. More expensive. They're definitely cooler and more looking. International. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. They are. And we have a Formula One team. There is. I've been told. Yeah, they're kind of new. I'm going to talk about them a oh. little bit later in my thing. <laughs> I'm I mean, ruining it's your not. Topic. No, you're not ruining it at all. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So that's that's the difference, Carly. Between okay, NASCAR and Formula One. Formula yeah, One is know. a world championship. NASCAR is just not na- United national. States trash. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So anyway, Formula One auto racing is one of the most popular spectator sports in the world. That's really? Yeah. Nuh-uh. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a real big deal. <gasps> not here. Yeah, not here. Because we have NASCAR. Because we have NASCAR here. Yeah. <laughs> what? 
Well, now I feel like I should get in on this. Everyone else likes it. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, okay. I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, I know. I, Sorry. Continue. Cotton, I keep. Uh, for, it's sort of. I. I don't even really like Formula One that much. I. But. Or I haven't ever like had the chance to follow it much. I. I in a perfect world, auto racing wouldn't really be a thing. It yeah, would, I don't cars, support it. Cars ought not to be a thing. It's it's a waste of resources and stuff. I mean, yeah. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, in the world we live in right now, it's a drop in the bucket. So like, eh, yeah. it's I feel it's acceptable as a guilty pleasure as long as you feel bad about it. You can you can like it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, it's one of, one of the most popular spectator spots in the world. Um, spots. Spectator spots. And there's a lot of money tied up in it. Mercedes, the winner of the last seven Constructors' Championships, had an operating budget in 2019 of $484 million. Mercedes made a car to race? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of like major, major car companies do that? Yeah. So like you got Mercedes, you have Ferrari, like sports car companies mostly. You also mm-hmm. have Renault, which is one of the biggest car companies in the world. Um, they're a French company. Um, wow. Um, and so that, yeah, they'll, they invest in teams. Okay. So. Um, yeah, in 2019, budget of almost $500 million. Um, Red Bull and Ferrari, wow. their, their nearest competitors, didn't spend much less than that. Um, even the teams running at the back of the field spend well over $100 million over the course of a season. To make a car? Yeah, I mean, it's because wow. it's a big deal. Is that making the car or making the car and, like, advertising? Um, no, it's more for... It's for making the car keep maintaining. It's probably making more than one car, continuing to update the car, make the car better, pay all the team that works on the car, the drivers. Because there's more than one race. So yeah, they're going to have to pay for, like to a make a bunch of cars. There's like race season. I okay. mean, they, I, I assume it's not a new car for each race. And there are two two cars for each team, two cars and drivers. All right. Anyway. Um, in 2021, F1 is introducing a budget cap for the first time of $145 million to try and level the playing field Whoa, somewhat. Oh, interesting. Um, but even still. That can't be regulated, can it? How? how are... uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I'm not really sure how that works, how the enforcement okay. of that works. Yeah. I would guess it's similar to other sports leagues. Like they all, They all have salary caps and stuff too, like NFL and NBA. All right. So I don't know. I don't know how it works. Cool. Anyway, but the industry worth billions of dollars that surround the sport uh, with ticket sales, uh, television rights, driver endorsements, team sponsorships will remain and continue to grow. And if there's one thing we know, um, where there's money, there is corruption and conspiracies. Yes. Great. All right. So first one I'm going to talk about is Crashgate. Crashgate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It is the year of our Lord, 2008. September, 2008? Yeah. Okay. September the 28th. The place, the city-state of Singapore. The occasion, the Singapore Grand Prix. Uh, the 15th race of the 2008 Formula One season and the series' first ever night race. Night race? Yeah, so they had first they put up lights all around the track to keep it lit up. Okay. Um, the Renault Formula One team are the object of our interest. Okay. Their two drivers are two-time world drivers champion, uh, Fernando Alonso, and rookie uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. 
Oh, I, I just realized this last week you were talking about a Brazilian soccer player who played for Spanish soccer teams and the, the conspiracy was taking place in France Yeah, this time. Is it the same? Well, no, I'm talking about a French Formula One team, a Brazilian driver, and a Spanish driver. And it's taking place in Singapore. Whoa. But That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, despite Fernando Alonso posting quick times during practice, both Renaults had lousy showings in qualifying and started the race in 15th and 16th out of, I believe, a 20-car grid, 20 or 24. Fernando Alonso was the first car to make a routine pit stop on lap 12 for fresh tires and to fill up on fuel. Then on lap 14, his teammate Nelson Piquet Jr. lost control of his car and crashed into the wall on turn 17. Hmm. Uh, The safety car was deployed and the field bunched up. Most of the leading cars took the opportunity to make their first pit stops, which had them re-entering the track behind Alonso. Uh, The narrow street circuit of Singapore made overtaking difficult, and so when Alonso took the lead in the last third of the race, many of the cars who were leading early on were stuck behind slower cars and and unable to catch up to him. Um, So Singapore 2008 was Renault's first win in almost two years, um, and it put to bed rumors that the manufacturer was thinking of quitting the sport. Hmm. uh, Renault F1's team principal, Flavio Briatore, and chief engineer, Pat Simons, attributed the victory to Alonso's brilliant tactical drive and the, and the safety car incident as good luck. Um, following the race, freelance Formula One journalist Joe Soward, um, writing on GrandPrix.com, stated that some cynics were questioning the incident, uh, Nelson Piquet Jr.'s crash, um, but dismissed it with the opinion that one likes to believe that no team would ever be so desperate as to have a driver throw his car at a wall. Uh, Brazilian driver Felipe Massa, uh, who finished the Singapore race in 13th, having been leading at the time of Piquet Jr.'s crash, and eventually lost the 2008 World Championship to Lewis Hamilton by one point, did question Briatore about the crash at the time, although FIA President Max Mosley stated the sport could take no action based on speculation. So what is everyone thinking happened right now? So some who people... Who threw the game so, for what? So there are two... So on the Renault team, you have Fernando Alonso, who is two-time world champion, and you've got like upstart rookie Nelson Piquet Jr. Um, That some people are saying Nelson Piquet like crashed on the twelfth lap or fourteenth lap, um, which uh, made things work out. So that after the other teams made their pit stop while they were cleaning up the mess, uh, his teammate ended up winning the race in the lead into the lead got it so in 2009 by the time 10 races were passed the next year uh nelson Piquet jr was lagging far behind his teammate alonso's performance failing to score a single point in the first half of the season Uh, he was unceremoniously fired on august 8th after the hungarian grand prix unhappy with being dropped from his racing seat he went to the press and on august 30th a bombshell came out high-ranking officials in team renault Uh, according to PK, had instructed him to crash his car on purpose in order to help his teammate. Yes, I bet. Yeah. So normally, the aim is to not crash your race car during a race. It's a bad idea most of the time. Uh But in this case, there were a few reasons that made it worthwhile for Renault to take out one of their own cars to help the other. First, um, uh, the reason that Alonso was the first car to pit is that he had started the race with less fuel than his competitors, 
Um, so he, he loaded less fuel in the car at the beginning, uh, which makes the car lighter, which means they can go faster. Um, however, most of the time, teams that start at the back of the field, like they were, go with the opposite strategy and try to start with a heavier load of fuel, um, which means they can go longer with, without taking a pit stop. And so they can take one pit stop less than their competitors and, you know, make up time that way. Yeah. Um, that is usually a better idea. Uh-huh. Um, that... For whatever reason, um, the Alonso team was planning on making an extra pit stop than the elite cars would have in this in this race um, to start off with a lighter car. Um, let me see. Another thing is that unlike in uh, NASCAR, Formula One doesn't necessarily send out the safety car, the pace car, and put and they put the whole track under a caution flag every time there's an incident. Um, a lot of the time, if someone spins out or like crashes off the track, um, there will be a local yellow in just in that area where they're like, you just can't, you can keep racing, you just can't pass each other in this section of track mm-hmm. um, while safety crews are working. Um, and then there are also cranes posted at strategic locations around the track in order to like pick up a damaged car and remove it quickly. Um, now, turn 17, the place where PK uh, says that he was told to crash, did not have a crane stationed nearby. And so it took a longer time to clean up the debris from the crash site. And so the safety car was deployed, um, which had the field slow down and like bunch up behind that. Hmm. Uh, pitting under the green generally costs teams a lot more time relative to their opponents, like 30 seconds a pit stop. But while the, there's the safety car out and they're all going slow, it doesn't, you know, cost you as much time relative to the others. So everyone else uh, took this opportunity to make a pit stop, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but since Alonzo had just pitted, like, two laps before, yeah. he, like, had all the benefits of, like, you know, he's got a full tank of gas, he's got fresh tires, yeah. but he doesn't have to lose. He, he gets to jump, like, leapfrog the rest of the cars. Yeah. Go up into the lead. Um, and so there was, there was an investigation after this, um, and Renault, uh, they, they found evidence of them, uh, talking on the radio, like before, um, the crash, like the, uh, team principal talking to another, talking about how, um, they were going to get PK out of there before, uh, this, before, you know, Alonzo ran out of gas or they, Uh um, and, uh, Renault, or the the two like main people who were supposed to have masterminded the the deal or the situation uh were banned or suspended from formula one for like two years um and the Renault team was basically put on probation for two years like they would be banned if another thing like this happened oh they did okay um, fernando alonso the other driver who you know was able to win the race because of this uh, wasn't penalized in any in any way because they he said that he didn't know anything about it and he went okay. on to continue his illustrious career anyway so that's Crashgate um, okay let me see what there's more uh, yeah I'm gonna talk about two more stories okay um, I'm gonna talk about rich energy um, so uh, as you mentioned there is one. Uh, United States-based team in Formula One um, called Haas, Haas F1. 
Um, uh, before the start of the 2019 season, they announced a partnership with a new sponsor, um, an elite energy drink for the discerning customer uh, called Rich Energy. Um, that that company was based in Richmond, London, um, but despite... Um, but despite cans of the drink being stocked in the Haas F1 motorhome and the brand's like Twitter accounts posting pictures of shipments being delivered to places, uh, fans soon realized that they had never actually seen it for sale in any supermarket, gas station, or store of any kind. So it didn't exist? <laughs> no, no one found, could find any evidence of it. Um, questions about the legitimacy of the company propagated online, but CEO Richard Story brushed them aside, saying that to claim Richard Rich Energy isn't uh, no, he was William Story. Sorry, to claim Rich Energy isn't real quote is like saying man never walked on the moon or Elvis is still alive. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Uh, but the more people dug into it, the weirder things got. Uh, somebody dug up financial statements from the company, which said that in 2017, the company had a bank balance of 581 pounds or $770 no. um, in 2017, um, up, which was an increase from 103 pounds or $134 the year before. Um, so what would the benefit of faking a well energy drink thing do? Um, well, I mean, it, I don't it's, get it's, it. It's, yeah. what, what would the point of that? What's the point of that? It, well, it's, it was a real like incorporated company. Okay. Um, my guess is it's like a, it was like a money laundering front of some kind, but I don't, I, I mean, there, I don't know what evidence there is for that. The Haas sponsorship wasn't the first time that Rich Energy had tried to get into Formula One though, despite apparently not having very much money. Uh, midway huh. through the 2018 season, they made an offer to buy out the struggling Force India team, uh, but that offer was dismissed. Uh, then they were in talks with the Williams racing team to sponsor their car. Uh, reportedly, several senior Williams team members were left waiting at an Austin, Texas restaurant to finalize the deal, but uh, Williams Story and Rich Energy never showed up, only to announce their deal with Haas a few days later. Huh. Um, Weird. Yeah. Uh, the Rich Energy trademark goes back to a Croatian businessman who created it in 2011. Um, Story and two business partners incorporated the company in the UK in 2015. Uh, Story claims to have made the money to start the company by flipping a Zimbabwean tobacco farm, which he then invested into making the energy drink. Um, then in 2018, a significant stake in the company was purchased by David Sullivan, um, who, with his partner David Gold, owned the West Ham United Football Club in the UK, a soccer team. But before that, they created a pornography empire. Uh, they what? started out selling mail-order soft corn porn photos, then moved soft on to... Soft corn porn photos. Soft, That's what soft, you said. Soft core porn. <laughs> no, I like soft corn soft porn. Soft corn porn. Then <laughs> made films and printed, you know porno mags and open sex shops and stuff anyway this is weird yeah the original rich doo copyright was registered with an address of what appears to be a residential building in croatia which in itself isn't like a very uncommon practice uh you know practice except that the businessman who owned it maestrovic's different businesses and trademarks were also registered to all different locations uh, huh. For instance, his medical research organization is located in a nondescript older building in Vukovar, uh, where Google Street View shows signs that, when translated from Croatian, say, doors and windows, uh, something about a new address and appear to advertise financing options. Weird. Um, 
Then the UK trademark for Rich Energy was registered at an office complex in London, but Rich Energy um, on the office complex's you know, records isn't listed as a business at that location. Um, anyway, so uh, this place doesn't exist. It's hard to uh, hard to pin down any evidence of it. Um, William Story has also been listed as an officer for four other companies besides Rich Energy and Rich Energy Racing in the UK, including a boxing company, two technology companies, and a style company. Uh, most of them have done poorly financially and been dissolved. Uh, only the boxing company still exists, though the partner Story started it with quit because he, quote, didn't support William's business strategies. <laughs> um, and in all of these companies except rich energy racing where his occupation is ceo he is listed as a c- computer consultant i don't know okay um but uh despite the questionable history of the company and its ceo the rich energy slash hotspot partnership uh seems to start the season well uh the first sign of trouble came a few months in Uh, Rich Energy's logo has a black background and in gold the words Rich Energy, above and below a stylized image of a stag's antlers. Um, (laughs) It so happens that a company called White Bikes has an almost identical logo, and they took Rich Energy to court. Um, Hmm. uh, Let me show you the logos real quick that I'm talking about. Um, So this is the Rich Energy logo, and this (gasps) is the White Bikes logo. Oh my god, it's like, it's the exact same thing. I know, they just like added one little like prong off <gasps> that one antler. <laughs> that's it's like, like the, the only sa- difference. This, this font is like the same, I know, it's but even that's the same just bold. Font. Yeah. <gasps> and then they just made it tan or right? gold yeah. instead of white. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. Um. So here's, I'm going to read from an ESPN story on the subject. Uh, White Bikes took Rich Energy to court, claiming the Energy Drinks logo was an unauthorized copy of its own stag-based logo. Yeah. Story argued Rich Energy's logo was inspired by the deer that inhabit London's Richmond Park. Um, But to the untrained eye, it looked strikingly similar to that of White Bikes. (laughs) I know. A judge agreed and gave Story an unflattering appraisal in her judgment. I found both Mr. Story and Mr. Kelly, uh, Story's friend and logo designer, to be poor witnesses, Judge Melissa Clark wrote. Uh, Mr. Story provided different and inconsistent accounts of the development of the logo, which also conflicted to a large extent with the evidence of Mr. Kelly. He often did not answer questions directly, preferring to make speeches about his vision for his business, or alternatively seeking to evade questions by speaking in generalities or in the third person plural. He only answered several questions when I intervened. He had a tendency to make impressive statements, which on further investigation or consideration were not quite what they seemed. Um, The court case also included Story clarifying his original assessment that Rich Energy had produced 90 million cans. Um, He said these had not been filled or sold at that point. Instead, he estimated the company had sold a more modest 3 million cans in 2018. Why are they trying to make this thing this thing exist? I don't know. I'm so confused. I don't Um, understand. They were dismissed as unreliable witnesses um, and said Rich Energy could not use the Stag logo after July 18th. Um, That part of the sponsorship was removed from the Haas car uh, in time for the Canadian Grand Prix, although the team's name remained on the side of the car. Um, Rich Energy was ordered to cover white bikes and controlling company ATB sales' legal costs, totaling £35,416 by July 11th, 
White Bikes released a statement on that date saying that payment had not been made and that it was considering taking further legal action. Wow. Oh my god. So anyway, while while the court case was going on, um, on July 10th, the Wednesday before the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, Rich Energy's official Twitter account tweeted that they were terminating their deal with Haas due to the team's poor perf- poor race performance. Um, this took Haas by surprise, as well as Rich Energy's shareholders. Um, apparently, uh, William Story had made the tweet himself without telling anyone else at the company that they were pulling out of their sponsorship deal. Oh my gosh! Um, during the race, he continued to tweet from the Rich Energy account, mocking the team for having both cars taken out in an early collision and claiming that the other shareholders had tried to oust him in a palace coup. Oh my gosh. Um, the following day, documents filed in the UK revealed that Story had sold his controlling interest in the company and its name had changed to Lightning Volt. Um, in September, Haas announced they had formally cut ties with the company. Additionally, they announced that of what was supposed to be a $45.7 million sponsorship deal, Rich Energy only came through with the first small installment. <laughs> um, Ooh, so that's, that's rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently, earlier this year, the I, I guess William Story somehow got back into the company. Um, and they announced that they were going to try to sponsor an F1 team again in, in like next year or this Rich year. Rich Energy? Yeah. They're not real. They're not a real company. I know. What? <laughs> I know. I, I don't understand. Yeah. And then I got one more thing to talk about. And then it's, and it's shorter than the others. Oh, okay. So um, I'm going to talk about tobacco. What? Tobacco. Smoking. Tobacco? Yeah. Tobacco is big business. Big tobacco? Big tobacco. Are you in the pocket of big tobacco? Oh, yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) And it has a long history with Formula One. Uh, Marlboro Cigarettes first started sponsoring Formula One teams in the 1970s. Oh, yeah, I bet. um, With McLaren and Ferrari. Over the years, it became practically synonymous with the Ferrari team. Um, It's it's red and white Chevron logo becoming perhaps the most recognizable on the grid. So it's like a company and like a major car company like a product and a major car company yeah, so you have the, like combined yeah. to make a car right pretty much you have like the the car company is you like know ferrari and then who's with them red bull uh or red bull red bull's an independent it, it's not they buy their engines from honda i think or maybe they might have changed that but they're like an independent there there are some but like, they deal- make a car yeah. Red mm-hmm. Bull? Yeah, there are some teams that independently like make their own car. Like Whoa. that's how the Haas uh the United States one does. They build their own cars. And then there are teams like Mercedes and Ferrari and uh, Renault that like have the backing of a major car company, um but they huh. also make their own cars. Okay. Um yeah. So, uh, a lot of the independent teams, not all of them, but a lot of them like buy their engines um and some other parts from like uh, other the car major companies. Car companies? Yeah. Okay. Okay, Wait, sorry. Uh, Continue. Anyway. So anyway, um, but in 2006, the FIA, um, the uh, the managing organization for F1, banned all tobacco advertising on cars because it's bad for it's you. The, yeah, because it's the 21st century. That's good. Yeah, um, but uh, banning something doesn't necessarily mean that it stops completely. 
Um, today, Philip Morris International, the parent company of Marlboro, still sponsors Ferrari to the tune of an estimated $75 million annually. Do they just make the driver like walk around with cool cigarettes all the time as like advertising? Um, so yeah, they do sometimes have like uh, Formula One cars appear in like tobacco advertising, like Ferrari cars, like Marlboro advertising and Got stuff. Got it. Um, okay. And also, um, they... Uh, when the when the band first went into effect, um, Ferraris debuted a design that prominently featured what looked like a red and white and black barcode on the side of the car. Um, or it looked like that when the car was standing still. But the arrangement of lines, however, was such that when the car was like whizzing by at no. high speed, it bore an uncanny resemblance to the Marlboro cigarette logo. Um, so here is... No, uh, are you so, serious? You know, right there's now? the Marlboro logo. Okay, sure yeah, I knew. That. Yeah, I, I knew yeah. that was coming. And then this is what the barcode thing looked like that they put on all the cars. Okay, <laughs> do you have something in action that I can see? Uh, Did it? Have see you here. seen it? Does it look like it? Because I could see you that. You can kind of like see it. Here's here, here's an example. It it kind of it's it was supposed to be like a subliminal advertising kind of thing. It's supposed to like kind of yeah. resemble it. So like it's got the see. red, white, and black. Yeah, so you're like, say, that kind of looks like the... the Craving mo- some the cigs s- now, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, that is kind of funny, though. I, it seems like that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, could they really get in trouble for that? It didn't say Marlboro. Yeah, it didn't say already. it. I don't think they ever got in trouble for it. I think uh, they might have had to... So there are some countries that are, like, more strict with the, like, no cigarette advertising. Um, like, in Australia, you're not allowed to s- advertise tobacco, like, at all. And so I think that they had to like not have that at all on the car cover it up yeah they just cover it up (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um let me see here um more recently though i think they stopped with that in like 20 and like the 2010s i don't remember when exactly but more recently the main advertising on a ferrari f1 car is for something called mission winnow what Um, is that uh so when you go to the website for mission winnow um, you find some, you know, sleek web design and stock photos of outer space and stuff and, you know, office buildings and like, you know, diverse people walking around um, and some generic business copy. Like, what is Mission Winnow? Mission Winnow is an unconventional communications platform to share our journey and create a stage for constructive dialogue or the Winnow way to progress or powering transformation through bold thinking, big ideas and brave action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as it turns out, Mission Winnow is like a corporate initiative or like nonprofit kind of thing or something run by Philip Morris International in order to launder their image and crucially still be able to sponsor a Formula One team without technically sponsoring a Formula One team. <laughs> um, oh the, the point of the company, you know, it has no point except, you know, to get people like me talking about it and mentioning smoking <laughs> um, and how conveniently the the Mission Winnow logo matches exactly the angles of the Marlboro Chevron. So here is here's really? the MW of the Mission Winnow. And so if you look at that sideways, it's Yeah. It's the same yeah. like it has I mean, and if you put it like overlay it with the Marlboro logo, it yeah, like matches it up match exactly. Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So that's um uh, similarly, the McLaren team were sponsored for the 2020 season, I think, or 2019, by A Better Tomorrow, um, which was a similar nonprofit slash think tank slash initiative run by British American Tobacco. Um, and it also seems to be the slogan of British American Tobacco, but it says A Better Tomorrow because that's 
that's different. <laughs> a better tomorrow versus yeah. better. So the company is. What's it called? Something the, tobacco? British American tobacco. British tobacco. British American tobacco. Yeah. B- and <laughs> better tomorrow. Yeah. Sound. So you got B-A-T sponsoring car with A-B-T. A better tomorrow <laughs> is the name of their like nonprofit corporate initiative kind of thing. And also a better tomorrow is Damn. a British American tobacco slogan. But anyway. It so, is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in, yeah, uh, on the website. <laughs> oh, that's so sketchy. Yeah, I, I mean, obvious, but I mm-hmm. like it. But it's not, it's not, I, I think both of these, the also like in Australia and a few other countries, they had to completely just really remove that branding from the cars because. Yeah. But everywhere else, it's fine. Okay. Anyway, so that's, that's what I had to talk about. There will likely be more things in the future. There was a story about a literal, a literal Nigerian prince scam, like an actual Nigerian prince pulling a scam um, that I want to talk about in the future. Okay. But that's for another time. I think I should do my topic. Yeah, you should. I think it'll we're be not, like 30 we're minutes. We're less than an maybe. hour in. Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back. All right. We're back. Um, you guys didn't miss anything. <laughs> you probably waited in like, what, a second? Yeah, Um. Uh, we switch computers because we don't have good technology here. Uh, anyway, I well, we decided to do my topic this week. Yeah. Uh, so my my sources are from the tls.co.uk, some kind of something with articles, some <laughs> newspaper thing. Okay. CryptoZooNews.com. Okay. Well, that sounds promising. Yeah. ISU.edu library. Got it. Uh, TheNews.com. <laughs> well, I, where else would you go for news? <laughs> In Wikipedia. All right. In number one. So I got this first part from Wikipedia. Okay. I'm talking about, do you know how to pronounce this? Bar- Barmanu? I would say Barmanu. All right. I'm talking about the cryptid Barmanu. Mm-hmm. I don't. I've never heard of that. I yeah. Don't. So, I found this. I I looked up on Wikipedia a list of cryptids, and then I just clicked on the first one. I thought, like the first one we hadn't done. Right. So I, well, I didn't want to talk about like a sea monster. We've talked a lot about a lot of sea monsters, right. a lot of uh, birds. So I went with like more of like a Bigfoot type thing. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I looked at that. And I clicked on this one, and then I was reading about it, and I'm like, yeah, I guess I could. It had a short Wikipedia article, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> I guess I could do that. But then I got into more, okay. like more articles. There was actually a lot of articles about this thing because of the guy who, like, dedicated his life to researching it okay. is an interesting, a, guy who a very his... interesting person. <laughs> all right. And wrote, uh, like, a full-on, like, 78 page like scholarly essay with like his findings and his surveys and his, like it was it with pictures and illustrations and like firsthand it's it was crazy that's what i found uh, at the isu library okay. media like i downloaded the whole thing and i'm like this he wrote out his entire study scientific study hmm. is what he wanted to call it i don't know interesting it's i was like what <laughs> this is not real okay so we're talking about the barmanu okay or barmanu spelled differently or batamanus a bipedal 
Mm-hmm. A bipedal humanoid primate cryptid. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't turn the fan off. Oh, shoot. Turn the fan off. Just get up and turn it off. Uh, it allegedly inhibits the mountainous region of northern, pa- northern Pakistan, and shepherds living in the mountains have reported sightings. The Barmanu is the Pakistani equivalent of the Bigfoot. Okay. It's very, it looks just like our Bigfoot. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like a, it's the same idea as the Almus and the, the Yeti and the, and the Bigfoot. Yep. Except, the, except it's the Barmanu this time. Yeah, the Barmanu. Uh, the proposed range of the bar, Barmanu covers the Chitral Sh- sure. Sh- and Karakoram ranges uh, between the P- Pamirs, P- mm-hmm. Pamirs and the Himalaya. Uh, this places what this places this places the Barmanu between the ranges of two more famous cryptids, the Almus of Central Asia and the Yeti of the Himalayas. So exactly what you said. Called it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Barmanu allegedly possesses both human and ape-like characteristics. So like all the other ones we've heard of. Right. Um, I'm gonna pull this down a little bit so I can read a little better. Uh. Now it's too low. Sorry, I'm messing with the mic, everyone. Uh, what was I on here? I don't know. Alleged human and ape-like characteristics and has a reputation for abducting women and attempting to mate with them. Oh. That's oh, all no. I found about that. I'm just... sure in his studies and stuff, if you read every single first-hand account, I didn't, because it was like 80 pages long. Uh, <laughs> I... I that there were stories of that, but I didn't include that because I thought it was weird. <laughs> uh, it also reported to wear animal skins upon its back and head. Okay. The Barmanu appears in the folklore of the northern regions of Pakistan, and depending on where the stories come from, it tends to be either described as an ape or a wild man. Uh, the first search in Pakistan for the creature was carried out by a Spanish zoologist living in France. Spain and yeah, France. I know. That's why I was like, what is this? Is anyone from Brazil in there or Singapore? I don't know, actually. Uh, but this is the guy, Jordy. I'm going to say McGrainer. Okay. Jordy McGrainer. I tried to look up this guy's name, but since he is Spanish and he was living in France, all of the documentaries and any videos on YouTube were all in Spanish and France. French. <laughs> so I tried putting subtitles on to see, but there were no English subtitles. So I listened to like the first five minutes of like a bunch of videos and I could not find where they might be saying his name. <laughs> I, I, I tried. Yeah, you... I really tried, but this is as good as I can get. Jordy McGrainer is what I'm going to say. We'll call him Jordy McGrainer. Jordy McGrainer. Um, from 1987 to 1990, uh, let's see. He wrote a paper called Let's. So the paper I read was translated to English because he wrote it in Spanish because okay. he is a Spanish well, that, cryptozoologist. That like or it was in French. He, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was in French. Let, uh, something uh, on the Pakistani cryptid, the wild man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he wrote, like, a paper. And that's the paper I read some of. Okay. Um, let's see. He later researched the Barmanu exclusively, extensively, I mean, in the 1990s until 2002. Mm-hmm. 
Lauren Coleman wrote that he, quote, collected more than 50 first-hand sighting accounts and all eyewitnesses recognized the reconstruction of Huevelman's homopongoids, uh, ape-like man, in quotes after that, uh, or a living Neanderthal. Uh, they picked out Homo pongoids as their match to Barmanu from McGrainer's ID kit of drawings of apes, fossil men, aboriginals, monkeys, and the Minnesota Icemen, end quote. I don't know why I kept that in there because I don't understand anything that it said. In May of 1994, during a search in Shishika, Shishiku Valley, Shichitral, a cryptozoologist, or cryptologist Jordy McGrainer and Malazy and, and other associate and another associate it's late I'm sorry this is rough for me I'm used to reading this off of a paper and this is not close enough to my face and as I said I need new it. glasses no it's okay I can hold okay. it um reported that during one late evening during a late evening, they heard unusual guttural sounds, which only a primitive voice box could have produced. No further progress could be made. So everyone, a lot of the first-hand sightings say that um, he smells like garbage. You start to smell garbage. <laughs> okay. Some kind of garbagey scent. Uh-huh. Uh, and he makes guttural noises. That's well, uh, they, a lot of them have in common. Okay, and he smells like garbage, and he makes guttural noises. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he so, abducts women, like King Kong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jordy McGrainer, uh, a little about him, because he's the guy who researched and wrote a huge paper and dedicated like a lot of time uh -huh. to researching this thing. Right. Uh, which he's the one with the fascinating life that kind of has an interesting story in the end. Okay. So that's kind of all I have about... No, no, I have more. I'm going to read you an account in the paper okay. that was said, because I thought it was interesting. All right. McGrainer had been taught by his parents to... Oh, wait. Was born on December 6, 1958 in Morocco of Spanish parents and lived in France until the age of six. McGrainer had been taught by his parents to appreciate nature while maintaining a, a skeptical distance from the church. He demonstrated an early affinity for nature, especially herpetology. Herpetology? Yeah. Is that lizards? I don't know. I think that's lizards or snakes. It's fine. We don't need to look it up. Okay, you're right. It's okay. Herpetology. Herpet Herpetology. Herpetology. He received an agricultural BTS in 1980 and continued postgraduate studies in zoology. Uh, the writings of Bernard Huevelmans, the Belgian-French scientist explorer who founded cryptozoology, greatly influenced him, especially his 1974 co-authored book, uh, Neanderthal. Neanderthal Man is Still Alive. That's the English translation. With encouragement from, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I'm going to call him Huevelmans. Okay. Uh, McGrainer departed for the Chitral in northern Pakistan in 1987 at age 29 in search of the Barmanu. The Barmanu. Pakistan's wild man. Uh, he spoke many languages, held numerous posts, was affiliated with the National Museum of Natural History in Paris and other organizations. It's an impressive Barmanu. 
Just kidding. No, I know you're it's McGrainer. About, I know. I was joking. I'm sorry. In 1994, McGrainer stumbled across a curious trail of footprints in the snow of the Hindu Kush. Kush. These discoveries opened up a realm of possibilities for McGrainer, who had been skeptical about theories surrounding archaic wild men when he first arrived in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. His interest in the region had initially been roused by a pagan tribe of Indo-Europeans known as the Kalash. Having studied the ethnologist Jean Yves Loud's book, Kalash, the last infidels of the Hindu Kush, um, McGrainer had developed a romanticized impression of the tribe, and when he finally came face to face with its people, he was disappointed. Because <laughs> they are just people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Scientists refused to recognize or fund his quest for invisible monsters, such as the Barmanu, and prestigious archaeological journals show- showed little interest in publishing his articles. It became clear that the Yeti hunter, as he became known as, was an odd character and a man of extremes. He greeted each dawn with a pagan ritual, and visitors from Europe heard that he was, quote, really old school, the kind that still gets into fights. I don't know what that means, but I thought it was very funny. Sometimes when paranoia got the better of him, he would throw punches at his Pashtun attendants, apprentices, or colleagues. Friends warned that he would not last long if he continued to mistreat the locals. Another weird thing about this guy, he had servants. He had two, like, 12-year-old boy servants. And I think that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's how, like, it's how, it's how Europeans were. Like, or, and I guess, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. Still are, I guess. I thought they, it was they strange. Go, they go to the the Orient and they, yeah. Oh, they're a sick culture, those Europeans. I'm going to get into his article, his paper. Okay, cool. Um, Tell me about it. It's called Relic Hominids of Central Asia. And so uh, this is like his kind of at the top, like his uh some stuff he says intro abstract yeah intro relic hominids better known as wild men or hairy men you're a hairy man (laughs) (laughs) are thought to inhibit various areas of asia and particularly the mountains of central asia Hmm. Uh, numerous tales originating in different countries ethnic groups as well as different cultures and religions speak of encounters with these creatures in spite of great diversity of witnesses their descriptions are similar In contrast with comparable stories circulating in the rest of the world, the uniformity of eyewitness reports as well as their analysis show that in Central Asia, these reports go beyond the realm of folklore, myth, or legend. Mm, Okay. So here is eyewitness report number two. All right, number two. Information provided by Purdom Khan, 52 years old, uh, Chitrali Shepard, recorded on the 25th of January, 1988, um, in September of 1977, Purdom Khan, a shepherd, was watching his sheep at the top of a mountain at an elevation of 3,500 to 4,000 3, 4, meters, uh, sitting on a rock in the middle of the prairie. It was sunny between 3 and 4 in the afternoon. Suddenly, a stench attracted his attention to the lower area, an odor like that of a, quote, three-day-old dead cat or dog, end quote. Uh, The shepherd then saw a hairy man, three to four meters from him, 
lower down. He stayed put, observing it in silence for two hours. Maybe it's just a really hairy, smelly guy who just runs around. Uh, The hairy man could neither see nor smell him. The shepherd was not afraid. He had already heard about these creatures and had his axe with him to, to defend himself if the need arose. Even though it was the first time, it was normal for him to see a hairy man. What? It was normal for him to see a hairy man, and it is simply by curiosity that he decided to observe it. Oh, you know, yeah, you hear about him. He's not like, oh, this can't exist. He's this. He's like, oh, yeah, that's the thing people talk about. It's the hairy guy. Everyone Hmm. knows. Okay. The creature was a young adult male of average stature for the area between uh, 67 to 69 inches. It was sitting... uh, Yeah, this just smells. sounds like a a smelly guy. (laughs) It was sitting, quote, like a... What? Oh, uh, like a Muslim? Muslim? Mm-hmm. I thought that was another you in there. Um. Anyway, he was sitting like, quote, like a Muslim and was eating ant larvae or nymphs, uh, which he picked with two fingers, his thumb and index. <laughs> it was in full sun. Its muscles and chest were well developed. The general appearance was that of a man. The body was covered with long reddish brown hair. It did not wear any clothing. The hair on its head was long. Its face was wide, like that of a Tajik. I don't know what that is. Oh, people of mongoloid appearance. Mongoloid appearance. Right. With prominent cheekbones. It had some kind of beard, and only its cheeks, its nose, and the area around its eyes were hairless. Its Hmm. nose was wide and flattened. Um, I'm not going to say that. With clearly visible nostrils, the brow ridges were wide and prominent, its eyes dark and like those of a man. So I'm reading straight from this uh-huh. thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah. Let's see. Its mouth was very large. It had no forehead and its neck was very short. It had no visible lips with teeth similar to those of man, but more massive. Its chin was weak and hairy. Legs and arms were rather long and more muscular than those of a man. Its hands <laughs> and feet never seen a man, my friend. Its hands and feet were very wide with hairless palms and soles, but the tops hairy. Nails and fingers and toes were similar to those of a man, one inch long. Uh, the shepherd added that the fingers were long and the feet very wide compared to a man's. Uh, his sex was erect and very large. I was just about to ask you about that. Like that of a donkey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. When the hairy man moved, he walked upright like a man, chest forward, feet turned in. Its skin visible through the hair was dark. Uh, when a large dog approached, the hairy man left directly downhill toward the forest. A few days later, around one in the morning, our witness saw the hairy man a second time at the same place. The shepherd was climbing down with a young woman. The hairy man grabbed her, but the shepherd quickly took her back, and the hairy man fled at the sight of the axe carried by Purdon Khan. The creature did not engage engage in any violent behavior. He's a a smelly, hairy, horny man. Yeah. (laughs) Gross. Remind you of anyone? Ew, stop. (laughs) Gross. Um, So, that's the Barmanu. Okay. 
So I'm going to... Crazy, crazy stuff. I'm almost done. This is the last part of the story that I thought was the most interesting part of the story. And that was like this guy. <clears throat> More about this guy. Jordy. 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 Yeah. So I got this from an article called In Search of an Elusive Creature by Dr. Rahio Ahmed Siddiqui. Okay. He took a trip to this guy's... He took a trip somewhere, found his grave, and then did more research on the guy or something. Okay. So then he wrote this. Uh, Jordi Federico Magrainer, born in uh, Spain in June 1967, was among the leading cryptozoologists of the world. Cryptozoology is a specialized field of zoology dealing with the study of and search for animals and especially legendary animals as a yeti in order to evaluate the possibility of their existence on scientific grounds. I see. Uh, McGrainer came to Chitral in 1992 in search of the Varmanu, the Pakistani equivalent of the abominable snowman. Uh, he, along with his team, combed the wild heights of Hindu Kush, searching for scientific evidence regarding the presence of this legendary creature. From the valleys of Kaf- Kafiristan, sometimes McGrainer would wander for weeks in Nuristan, the neighboring provin- province of Afghanistan. It gets this more guy interesting. just likes hiking. Yes. <laughs> he just wanted an excuse to go out and uh, walk in the mountains. In May 1994, during his trek to the Shishiku Valley in the Chitral, Jordi McGrainer, Dr. Anne Malisand, and another associate, all Europeans, reportedly heard two series of unusual guttural sounds that could have been made by only by a primitive primate voice box. Um, let's see. It was late in the evening and in fading light. It was not possible to follow the creature making the calls, but the team tracked down witnesses who claimed to have seen the foul-smelling animal and made the sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy who wrote the article tried to gather more information about Jordy McGrainer, an amazing man with extraordinary interests from the local population. Everyone remembered him with fond memories. He took up a local dwelling on rent and lived like a native, wolfing down local cuisine. So this guy is trying to hunt down the Barmanu hunter, the himself. So he's trying to like research him and collect firsthand accounts of people dealing with this guy. Yeah. While this guy was trying to like track down people and get firsthand accounts of them dealing with the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's 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 fun. It is fun. That is fun. Not bothered by the harshness of weather, he would wander for weeks all alone in wilderness chasing the elusive. Barmanu. That's probably what the Barmanu was doing. What if the Barmanu was hunting him? He was also <laughs> wandering for weeks, trying to find the elusive uh, d- dude. Yeah, you're right. His constant companions were his seven pet dogs and two horses. <laughs> See, isn't this guy weird? This guy's yeah. weird. <laughs> Locals <laughs> described that one of his dogs was as large as a mule, and it was probably a Great Dane. <laughs> guy's weird man this story was more interesting in my mind i'll say that keeping the dream of a year just the the average european man alive into the 1990s yeah this doctor guy who wrote this article Uh uh, was told that mcgrainer would frequently drift through the porous border illegally into afghanistan in the 1990s see this wasn't that long ago that's why i'm like this guy is weird it's (laughs) not like this is the 1920s or like (laughs) 1860s 
Yeah. I, I don't understand. Um, where he befriended Amen Shah Masood, the Majuddin. Mujahideen. Mujahideen commander, as, then known as the Lion of Panjshir. I think that's how you say that. Probably. He was also known to have helped a few ka- Kafirs that got into trouble in Afghanistan through him. But Ahmed Shah Massoud died in a suicide attack and subsequently the neighboring provinces were taken over by the Taliban. After 9-11, the area descended into chaos and was uh, then that... Sorry, I can't read. (laughs) And it was then that McGrainer ran out of his luck. Tempted to make one last attempt to get a hold of the elusive Barmanu, he wandered deep into the Nuristan and was held hostage by an armed militant group for at least three months. Wow. This is when it gets, like, all this stuff happened to him. Yeah. Nobody reported this incident to the authorities simply because Jordy McGrainer was on the other side of the international border uh, illegally. Mm-hmm. It is said that he grew a beard and pretended to have converted to Islam. The plan worked and he was released with honor. <laughs> <laughs> so he was captured and then released because he lied. What a what a guy. But not for long. Oh, no. Back in his favorite valley of K- Kafiristan, Ka- Kafiristan, Kafiristan, he started openly criticizing those who held him hostage and publicly denounced his newly adopted religion. They captured you once, man. They can do it again. Why would you do that? He became a kafir in late 1990s and took part in all their rituals. His open defiance probably could have contributed to his death. So this is interesting. There's kind of a weird conspiracy surrounding his murder. That's why this gets weird. Uh, Sorry, it took a long time to get to that part. Though details about his last days are murky. Jordy McGrainer had two servants, one a local kafir boy and the other an Afghan lad. On August 2nd, 2002, a month before he was planning to finally leave Chitral for France, uh, since that is where he chose to settle down, he was going to retire. He was enticed away from Bambarit, as the local rumors go, by his Afghan servant to a village near the Afghan border. The next morning, Jordy... Frederico McGrainer and his kafir servant were found murdered in their hut with the Afghan missing. No trace of the Afghan servant was ever found, and so the mo- motive of this gruesome murder remains shrouded in mystery. Their, their um, s- throats were slit. Gross. Yeah, it is gross. Whatever the motives, it is a sad loss to the world of cryptozoology. Uh, the Let's see. Three... Uh, three a three days costly funeral festival was arranged for their beloved McGrainer, who lies buried in their graveyard, is one of theirs. It is the um, the tribe of the the Sh- Shukdari, the dominant tribe of the Kafirs of the Bombarit Valley. Okay, that's where they it is. claimed the body of McGrainer and then buried them in his in their cemetery, uh-huh. which he was like the first uh, the first Westerner to be buried in a Kafir graveyard. Okay. In September 2002, McGrainer's brother, Andre and Aj, and his sister, Esperanza, es- I don't know, <laughs> arrived in Chitral to take his remains to Spain for a proper Christian burial, but the move was resented and resisted by the Kalash people who had claimed that Jordi McGrainer willed it, 
willed it to be buried here, and the gods were not to be disturbed. All right. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the end? <laughs> this was not a good story. No, I like that. That was good. I, but I, there's I like... a lot of mystery surrounding his death. They don't know if it had to do with him denouncing these people that captured him. If I had to Or guess. if it was for his research. Could be. Maybe he got too close. He Maybe the Barmanu did it. The Barmanu obviously did it. I don't know. This guy who wrote that article about him made it sound like he was a great guy, but some of the stuff I read, he was kind of not a good guy. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. But he was, you know. I don't know. Yeah, he was. He, he was, was mysteriously murdered, and I thought that was interesting. He was behind his time. He was. That's that's the kind of behavior. Yeah, you get from like a, a 1910 kind of person going going around there. Yeah, those parts. All right. Well, I'm done, and this is long. Okay. So let's yeah. let's wrap this too. up. Yeah, good idea. All right. All right. Cool. Um, I've been Harry. I'm still Carly. And this is not Ben. <laughs> This is known. Let's say it again. <laughs> and this has been... Known unknowns. Uh, actually, it's good. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.